Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. You are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. My name is Jim, and today I want to talk a little bit about overcoming hopelessness. And just the other day, I heard someone talking on the radio about a survey that was recently taken among 20-year-old women here in the United States. And what they were saying was the amount of depression since this poll began, I don't know, 30 years ago or so, that women in their 20s are facing today is off the scale. It's higher than it's ever been before since they started taking this poll. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that applied to people in their 30s and their 40s and so on, because we are living in a time where hopelessness is becoming almost commonplace. And unfortunately, that has also had an effect on people who are believers. And that's why I really want to focus on this today. And now that I'm with you again, I'm sorry it's been so long between the last podcast that I published and this one. There was a death in my immediate family and a, just a little bit of sickness that preceded it. And I have to tell you, when it comes to loved ones, it really doesn't matter whether they're you know, in their late 80s or their late 90s or even older than that. You always wish that you would have that person, that loved one with you a little bit longer. Yes, after all is said and done, especially if they're believers like it is in, in my case, you're really happy, as Paul said, you know, to live for him was Christ, but to die was gain. And we think about what that heavenly world must be like, where everything is perfect, where there's no more tears, there's no longer any, even being tested with sickness or trials and tribulations, all of those things are left behind. And so, yes, of course, I, just like everyone else, look forward to that day. And, you know, part of me envies those who are already there. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we have to pass through death. As the Bible said, it's been appointed unto man once to die. But it also says that there will be some people living here in this world when the Lord returns. Now, I don't want to go into the uh, book of Revelation in depth and talk about the different types of viewpoints on what's being said and how the events will unfold. Because we know that in the end, no matter what your viewpoint is, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and God will be dwelling with us. And it will be a time that will never end. In other words, there will be joy and happiness and fulfillment, no more death, no more night, no more darkness, no more of that. And regardless of what your viewpoint is on all of the events that lead up to that time, there's no disputing that end time. It will be magnificent. And sometimes, you know, just from a human perspective, I look back on my school days and I think to myself, when I was there at certain points in my life, I felt like those days would never end. Do you remember those days when you were a kid and you wanted to be an adult really badly and it just seemed like you were just caught in this place that was never going to end? But then suddenly it was over. Suddenly. And I use that word because the Bible uses the word when Jesus returns, when judgment comes on this earth, it's going to happen suddenly in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, Jesus put it this way, you know, as lightning goes from one side of heaven to the other, so it will be uh, with the coming of the Son of Man. So, you know, looking at these scriptures, it's really important to encourage people and to lift them up, especially those who believe. And I'm going to get into some scriptures here in just a moment. But what I did was I want to share some chunks of scripture 
with you today because I think that sometimes we can take just one little scripture, one little verse, and you know we can talk about it. There's not anything that's that's wrong with that. But a, several years ago, I started rereading the Bible with a little bit of a different approach. I wanted to get the actual spirit in which that letter was written. Now, I know it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's not what I mean. But I wanted to really get a good feel for what the emphasis was. Because sometimes if we look at just one or two verses and we put our own emphasis on it, you know, we can build different teachings out of it. And again, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but sometimes I think there's a bigger picture. It's kind of like zooming in on one part of a home or one part of a house or even on one part of the building and just focusing, hyper-focusing on that small section. And then suddenly, if you pull back and zoom out to a landscape type of a shot, you get a picture of what the whole building looks like. Well, that applies to a lot of things. You can apply that just about everything. And I wanted to do that as far as the, as the Gospels go, as far as the letters go in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. And one of the things that I understood better by doing it that way, by looking at the big picture— you know, we can apply it to the big picture of the book of Romans or the big picture to first or second Corinthians, big picture of the book of Galatians, was that I realized that the Bible puts such a strong, strong emphasis on certain things that we no longer put a strong emphasis on in the basic church world today. I'm not saying that every church is like this. I'm not trying to say that, you know, everybody's wrong and I'm right. I'm just doing this for your benefit, for your sake, because it really helped me. For example, the, the letters put a strong emphasis on our relationships with other people, very strong. There's a strong emphasis when you look at these letters as a whole about being right and having things right in your heart. Uh, there's a strong emphasis on loving one another. And, you know, when we look at these subjects and we kind of remove those elements from the topics, I think we lose an important part of the picture. And I want to bring this into what I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about overcoming hopelessness. Now, absolute hopelessness, I think, is the feeling that someone gets maybe who's at the point of wanting to take their own life. In other words, they see no, there's no pinhole light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. There's no hope at all. All hope is lost. Uh, the, the scripture puts about puts it this way. Even hope deferred, the Bible said, will make the heart sick. Deferred means to, to put it off. That hope we see is afar, and it remains afar. Meanwhile, today, we're dealing with all of these things which are contrary to the things that we hope for. But I want to, let's take a look at a few scriptures, okay? First, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. This is the, uh, I'm reading this from the Weymouth New Testament. Starting in verse 12, it says, For the present, we see things as if in a mirror and are puzzled. Could you agree with that? <laughs> Are you not puzzled sometimes by some of the things that you're looking into? But then, meaning on the other side, we shall see them face to face. For the present knowledge I gain is imperfect, but then I shall know fully even as I'm known. In other words, when we cross over out of this body into the kingdom of heaven, we shall know and understand as we are known. And, and that in and of itself is, it's a pretty pretty difficult thing to, to comprehend from our position now, that we could possibly know even as we're known. But now we see things, another translation says we, we see things dimly. 
This translation says, we see things as if in a mirror and are puzzled. Now let's go a little bit further. Verse number 13, it says, And so there remains faith, hope, and love, these three, and of these the greatest is love. So I read this from the Weymouth New Testament. I know a lot of you are familiar with the King James and the New King James. I just, this changed it up a little bit. But we have three things. We have faith, hope, and love. The King James Version says, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. Let me pull that up on my screen quickly here. Okay, let me read this in the King James Version, so you, just so you can compare. It says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. He uses the word charity instead of love. These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. And one, I heard one preacher say a long time ago, he said that charity was a more accurate description of love because charity implies some kind of an action. Charity implies that you're doing something as a result of having love. Interesting, but I never forgot that. We can say, oh, I, I love this person, but sometimes our actions don't really convey that in a, in a practical sense. So, But now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. And today I want to focus on hope. Because I know in the, in the church world of today, there's a lot of focus on faith. There's also a focus on on love, depending on what, what denomination or what type of, of preacher, I guess, you're listening to. But I want to focus in on hope because I think of the three, these three, I think that less is known about hope than the other two. And so I think it'll be worth time just looking at some scriptures that deal with with hope and why it's so important because Today, one of the things, again, like we're seeing is people are losing hope outside of the kingdom of God. People who aren't believers, of course, and we understand why that is. Matter of fact, recently, I was going over scriptures again where it talks about we who suffer loss when we lose a loved one who's a believer, that we don't mourn like those who are on the outside do who have no hope. In other words, our hope is that in the future, we will see them again, we'll be reunited with them again, and we have that hope. Why is that called hope? Why is it referred to as hope? Because it's a future event that hasn't happened yet. Okay, so let's go on a little bit, let's go on a little bit further here. Let me read some chunks of scripture for you, and I'm going to make some comments here. First, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse number 17. I'm going to read verse 17 through 23. And he, this is talking about Jesus, this is the American King James Version, takes out the these, the theirs, and the thous. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Now, let me just go back and read the 21st verse again. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind. Keep that enemies in your mind on the back burner for just a moment. Now, skipping down to verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and unreprovable in his sight. So this is something that's already happened. In the body of his flesh through death, he presents us before God the Father, holy and blameless and unreprovable in his sight. But now, here we go. 
verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Let me go back and again read this one more time. Verse number 23. If you continue in the faith and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, now what is the hope of the gospel? Well, the, the hope of the gospel isn't just one thing. It's all of it. It's the entire good news package from A to Z. It's everything that was done for us in Christ. It covers the complete redemption of a human being, their spirit, their soul, their body, their standing with God, what their life will be like in the future. That is the hope of the gospel. It starts right here, right now. In other words, you become part of the family of God, part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ, the sons of God, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. Nothing's divided like people do here on this earth. We are just a new creation. We are in Christ. And so the warning here is pretty plain. You can sum it all up by saying, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. But yet, you know, unfortunately, we see it happening all around us today. With all of the talk of of sickness and disease and COVID-19 and the different strains of it and hearing it week after week, month after month, and now year after year, and all of the ripple effect it's had on the world, finances and business. If you keep taking this kind of information in, if you keep reading it, watching it, listening to it, then what's going to happen? Of course, you're going to be moved away from the hope of the gospel, and you're going to be moved towards a place of hopelessness. Because you don't hear anything, of course, unless you're listening maybe to some Christian programming, and maybe not even then, but they're not pointing towards God. They're not pointing towards you know, having faith in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. They're, they're not doing anything even close to that, are they? All right, let's go on a little bit further. I want to read another chunk of scripture. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I like the focal point there. Two things. Number one, peace with God. Number two, it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, meaning by Jesus, we also have access by faith into this grace, which is unearned favor, wherein we stand. We have favor with God. Why? Because we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again from the top. By whom also which we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're rejoicing in what? In hope. What is the hope? Well, the hope of the gospel, of course, is a positive outcome. The gospel's good news, and we rejoice in the good news of the glory of God, then it's of a positive outcome. Now, it's not just of a positive outcome in the sweet by and by, as great as that is. It is the hope of the glory of God right here, right now. When Jesus physically walked the earth and delivered people from demons and sickness and disease, were people rejoicing in hope? Oh, absolutely. So much so that when he entered Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry, what did they say? Hosanna in the highest, here comes the king. Everybody was rejoicing in hope. Why? Because the darkness was lifting, a light had come into the world, and that light was not just for this place in the sweet by and by. As it, again, as, as important as that is and as great as it is, the application started right here and right now. Jesus didn't come to heal people someday. He came to heal them right there and right now. And that gospel was given to his disciples to preach 
from generation to generation. And so that's good news. No matter when you hear it, no matter what time you live in, God is the answer to all of your problems. God in the person of Jesus is the solution to any type of difficulty we may come across in this life. And so look look what it says in verse number three, Romans chapter five. And not only so, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Okay, so this is kind of like a stair step of a, of a presentation here. Step one, step two, step three. Step number one is we glory in tribulation because tribulation works patience or perseverance. Okay, so things go wrong. That's what tribulation is. There can be minor tribulation, major tribulation, or somewhere in between. If you've been in this world longer than, I don't know, 15 years, I guess, you know exactly what I'm talking about already. Some people are born into tribulation. Okay, so tribulation puts patience to work. Patience, now we're talking about not just earthly human patience. We're talking about a type of perseverance that comes because we have a connection with God. We have a connection through Jesus Christ. We have a connection through the Holy Spirit, right? We're one with him. He's the head. We're the body. We're his people. We're his children. So we, we put our hope in, in the glory of God, right? The hope is the future outcome, not just of the end of our days, but of a positive outcome right here, right now in our life. If you don't believe that, go back and read the entire Old and New Testaments one more time and see that all of the deliverances that were happening were happening right in, those, in the lifetimes of those people. And why are those stories written and so applicable to us today? Because we're living in the same world they were living in. The same spirits and and demonic forces that they faced, we face here today. So number one, tribulation leads to perseverance or endurance. And endurance leads to experience. In other words, you've been here before. It may be a different fight, maybe a different opponent, but you're a fighter. It may be a different battle, a different battlefield, but you're a warrior. You've been here before. You know what it's like to have adversity and experience hope. And what is hope? Hope is a positive outcome, isn't it? A person who's hopeful sees something good happening. Isn't that true? So maybe hope is an inner vision of a positive outcome. We could call it that. Hope is the vision of a good outcome. Hope is something positive happening to you. We can go around and around with this, but hope is a good thing. And verse 5 says, and hope makes not ashamed. In other words, you're not going to regret the fact that you put your hope in God, that you looked at this positive outcome that hadn't come yet, right? Because hope is in the future. So if you're struggling today, maybe the, the hope that you're placing in God means that you're going to come through this situation. You know, all situations are different. You know, some situations last a long time. I know people that struggle with poverty, with sickness, things like that a long time, but they don't lose hope. And the Bible says here that you will not be ashamed for having put your hope in God. And let me go a little bit further. Verse number five, and hope makes, makes not ashamed because, or for this reason, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? It means exactly what I read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. Unless you believe God loves you, and unless you believe God loves you in unconditionally, then it's hard to have hope. It's hard to see a positive outcome in each and every situation or challenge we face. Why? Because a lot of times it'll feel like we're just getting what we have coming to us. Because if you look at your own works, your own efforts, 
and maybe put effort out. I'm not saying that everybody's just like this, a, a terrible person, but I look at it this way. There's the things that we do that are wrong, and there's the things that we don't do. A lot of people, their confidence in their own right standing has more to do with the fact that they haven't committed all these grievous sins, which, you know, they haven't. I, I can go down the list of different sins that the Bible talks about. But, you know, there's other kinds of sins that really aren't as evident. And, you know, we keep them in our hearts. Like, sometimes we have the ability to do things, but we decide not to because well, selfish reasons, selfish motivations. So sometimes sin isn't so much what we're doing, it's what we're not doing. And I think if you look at it from both of those standpoints, from the things that we do and the things that we don't do that we should have done, then I think that we all realize that in our own effort, we're kind of bankrupt. You know, we, we have a debt that's impossible to pay, that we can never pay off. So Jesus paid our debt for us. Hope makes not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. There's something about sin that can really affect our confidence or the confidence that we have towards God. In other words, we wrestle with these feelings of unworthiness. And that's why it's so important, the Bible says, to get those things out, to confess those things, and to receive forgiveness. And sometimes it's a matter of being able to forgive yourself, too. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God, but we separate ourselves from God when we do things that we're ashamed of, when we do things that we're embarrassed about. When we don't do things that we know we could have done, we beat ourselves up sometimes, sometimes pretty bad. It depends on what type of personality you have. Some people beat themselves up more than others, but some people are so sin conscious that all the things they're always doing wrong or all the things they're not doing that they really don't have a lot of hope because they believe that their acts or their non-acts have separated them from the love of God. But the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. So there comes a time where you have to learn how to forgive yourself and accept the fact that God loves you just as you are. And once you accept that from not just an intellectual place, intellect is fine, but if it stops there, you won't have any kind of real transformation in your life. Once you accept the love of God, that you're loved by God, and that you can love God back exactly where you are at this point in time, and together, you, the Lord, meaning Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the, the three of you together, are going to make progress and go forward to places that you haven't been to yet. And those are going to be good places, and you're going to have good fruit come forth in your life, positive results in your relationships and in the world around you. Right? That's the good news of the gospel, that you're not stuck in the place you used to be. Your mind may tell you you are, your natural mind, but that's why we have the Bible, to kind of straighten out our thinking a little bit and get our souls more in line with where our spirit is. All right, let's go on a little bit further. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22 through 25. This is the English Standard Version. I'm using, um, when I read the Bible using some other types of software I have, on tablet. I used to focus on the New King James and the King James Version. This is called uh, eSword that I'm looking at right now on my monitor. And I like it. It's just another type of, it's a free Bible software. But I don't have the New King James on here. I have a lot of other translations. but So that's where I'm getting all these different translations from. So this is the English Standard Version, Romans 8, starting in verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That until now was true when this was written, and it's true even to this day. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning we've received the Holy Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. You see how faith and hope work together here? In other words, unless we can see the reaching, unless we have the vision, we have nothing to really place our belief in. And so one of the things that I've come to see over time, how I see hope differently today, I mentioned just a few minutes ago that I was going to explain it a little better, and here we go. I now see faith and hope as two sides of the same coin. And I see the coin that's fabricated in love. I see how these three work together. You have to believe that God loves you. You have to believe that God has a, a positive, better future for you as it relates to every situation, not just the end of your life. Every situation that you go through, you go through, we go through from faith to faith and from glory to glory. You should be a world overcomer because that's exactly what the New Testament says you are in Christ Jesus. Meaning, yes, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God, but we go from faith to faith and from glory to glory and from victory to victory. It's not just we're here getting beaten and battered as much as it may feel like it sometimes, holding our breath, hoping that the end will come and we'll be caught up in, in the air to meet the Lord any moment now. Most people will go through their whole lives, their life will end, and they'll leave this earth to go on to be on the other side. There's only going to be one generation of people that will be here when the actual end comes, when the midnight hour hits and everything starts to unfold. And again, it doesn't make any difference what your end time view is. I'm just talking about when the end comes, the end is going to come. In other words, everyone's going to know that Jesus is Lord. I think that is the first revelation that's going to hit. No one will be able to deny that God exists anymore. That's the end I'm talking about because everyone's going to see that which throughout history has been unseen. Everyone, both the, both the people alive and the people passed on to the other side, both the people in heaven and the people down in hell. So for it says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, can you see the connection there? Can you see how all these things fit together? Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Do you see why it's so great? But do you see that doesn't minimize the need for faith and hope? I think a lot of t people today, especially faith people, I've been in this place myself where I was trying to believe, but the problem was, I was in a place in my situation where I had been moved away from the hope of the gospel. In other words, I couldn't see a positive outcome, <clears throat> and that's why faith was so hard. One of the um, examples that I like to give about unbelief in the Bible, the story about the man whose son went into convulsions, who brought his son to the disciples. The disciples couldn't cast the spirit out, you know, and then Jesus did it, and he told the disciples, well, you know, you, you couldn't do it because of your unbelief. That's why it failed. And I think what happened was, if you look at it through the lens of these scriptures, is that they lost hope. Think about something. When you have a real, when the hope, when you have realistic hope, let's just look at it from a human standpoint, okay? When you have realistic hope that something good's going to happen, doesn't it affect your entire being? Is it just like this intellectual thing where, oh yeah, I can see this happening? No, it has a level of excitement. There's a level of enthusiasm there that's in you when you realistically have hope in your heart as it relates to a situation or, or anything. We could apply it to anything in this natural world that we live in. When we have hope, we know it, right? 
It's a positive hope. When we lose hope, we know it. We feel it. We know what it's like to feel hopeless. And sometimes we have to overcome a slide into hopelessness. And it happens because we're moved away from the hope of the gospel. We're moved away because we're seeing the things that are happening in the world around us. We're listening to experts tell us what's happening in the world around us. They're not telling us to trust God. They're not telling us to trust in the name of Jesus. They're telling us to trust in their science. And their science has failed over and over and over again. It's like trying to trust someone that has... Think about in the game of baseball. What's a good batting average? Somebody's batting 300, right? So let's just say 300. That means that, you know, three out of 10 pitches, they're connecting with, you know, they're getting on base. You know, that old baseball analogy. But still, I mean, what if you had to put your trust in someone that was successful 30% of the time? How would that make you feel? I wouldn't even want to put my trust in someone who's right half of the time because I'm thinking, well, what happens if in this situation there's a good chance he's wrong? I mean, there's a coin toss. To me, good odds are 9 out of 10 times or 90% of the time. So I'm just trying to put this in perspective here about when we have hope, when we don't have hope, and when we have hope and we're beginning to lose it. I'm going to read this from the uh, Weymouth New Testament again. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a well-grounded assurance of that which we hope for, a conviction of the reality of things we do not see. Think about that. Faith is the assurance. It's a well-grounded assurance. Well, assurance seems like an absolute to me, that word assurance. If I say I'm assured, I know sometimes we might put it like this. Well, you know, I'm kind of assured. No, you're not assured. You're either assured or you're not assured. Or else we have to use a different word altogether. So if I'm assured, have you ever left the house and you couldn't remember if you locked the door or not? You're either assured or you're not assured. I look at the promises of God the same way. You're either assured or you're not assured. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for. But without the Hope first. First comes hope. I like to look at it like this. If we look at now abides these three again from Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, from First Corinthians chapter 13, now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. If you look at them in reverse, love, hope, and faith, I kind of see that as how the foundation works. It starts with love. First, you have to make sure that you, your faith is in the love of God, that you know that God loves you. And if you, you feel guilty or you feel ashamed or something, then that's what you need to do. You need to confess your sins. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then sometimes you have to reassure yourself that, okay, I'm cleansed. I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness. I'm back in right standing with God. I don't have a need to hide like Adam did in the garden. I don't have a need to be ashamed. I'm forgiven in Christ. And then once that's settled in your heart, then you go back to the scriptures. The scriptures were written that you might have hope. Let me read that to you. Romans chapter 15, verse number four. And it says, And for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Why is hope so important? Because hope enters in first. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Unless our hope is in its right place, unless we're in a place where we haven't been moved away from the hope of the gospel, our faith has nothing to give substance to. Our faith has nothing to give assurance to. Where does hope come from? It comes from the scriptures. 
Sometimes I can read the same scripture and it generates hope in my heart and then faith will follow. Why does faith follow? Because that's when I pray. But it's hard to pray in faith until you have a realistic hope in your heart. If the hope isn't realistic to you, sometimes, you know, I don't I hate to make a formula out of things, but sometimes you got to talk to God about a situation several times and you'll leave that place of prayer and you're not, you're unsure. You don't have assurance, you don't really have a realistic hope in your heart. But I can also tell you from having practiced this and I'm I'm not perfect just like you're not perfect. But having received from God over the years, I know what it's like to where it actually feels like I have the answer before I have it. And when that happens, I know that the faith, I'm assured that what I see coming down the road is mine right now. It's a guarantee. Faith is like the guarantee of something that you hope for. It's like you've already got it. So instead of worrying about am I, am I getting the definitions correct, do I understand faith properly, do I understand hope properly, it becomes difficult, especially if you've lived all your life here in the West, grasping some of these things because we, we put so much emphasis on our intellect. We put so much emphasis on knowledge that we lose the spirit in which something was written. And when we lose that, we lose the power. Jesus put it this way. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. I've come to see it this way. Jesus is our hope. The Bible says, have the faith of God. That means have Jesus' faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He writes it. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it feels like we're the author of our faith. Like we're trying to get our faith just right. We're trying to get our hope just right. We're trying to get our righteousness just right. And whenever we focus on what we're doing with these little things and we focus on our understanding, then our faith is and hope is kind of resting on our ability to understand. But the Bible says, lean not unto your understanding. But acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your path. So I can go back to one scripture, one of my favorite scriptures in uh, John chapters 14 through 16. Probably my favorite. If I had to be on a desert island with only a handful of scriptures, I think I would choose John chapter, the gospel of John chapter 14 through 16 or 17. I think if I had to hold up at 16, I wouldn't be happy about it. But I, if I could have one more. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus put it pretty plain. Jesus said that he was going away and you wouldn't be able to follow, but afterwards you would be able to follow. And the disciples didn't know what he was talking about. And, and I mean, it's easy for us to laugh now because we see the whole thing. But if we were there at the time, we wouldn't know what he was talking about either. And where's the way? How do we know where you're going? Is there a map somewhere? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. People are looking for the door. Jesus said, I am the door. You know, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we look at all these other subjects, we might as well just apply them like Jesus did. Jesus is our faith. Jesus is our hope. Because when we focus on him, we can't go wrong. Matter of fact, if you think about what happened in the book of Acts, if you've never read the book of Acts, I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> if you've never read the book of Acts before, they were the original disciples, the apostles. They were beaten because... They were preaching in the name of Jesus, and miracles were happening. The sick were being healed. Matter of fact, they, the people put their sick out, and the, just Peter's shadow passing was starting to heal people. And they beat them and said, don't, don't preach or teach anymore in this man's name. Right? And who was motivating them? You think it was God up in heaven? Of course not. Of course not. It, it was the deceiver. 
it was it was the devils, the demons, the demonic spirits. They were the ones that were inspiring these Pharisees and Sadducees to instruct them not to teach or preach in this name anymore. And so we can take any subject, but if we remove the name of Jesus, if we remove the focus point of Jesus, because Jesus really is the good news. Yes, Jesus came to preach the good news, but he really is the good news. That's what you learn as you go through the New Testament, all the letters. He's the focal point of everything. As the Bible says, there's been no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. And so it comes right down to that. So whether you're looking at topics like faith, hope, and love, instead of getting so focused on the mechanics of things, which, I mean, the mechanics are fine. I'm not saying that they're not. But don't do it at the expense of losing sight on that all of these subjects can be summed up in a person, in the Son of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So make him the center of everything that you're learning relative to the things of God. Don't lose sight of him, and you'll be okay. It's as soon as you lose sight of him that you start to focus on yourself and you begin to weigh whether you know enough or whether you're anointed enough or whether you're called enough or whether you're good enough. And that's when all of the problems start. That's when you get moved away from the hope which is in the gospel. No, we're in Christ now. The Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. What exactly does that mean? Well, you know what? God calls things which be not as though they were. Right now I'm seated here in Sarasota, Florida, in a chair, in an office chair. and But you know what? The Bible says I'm seated in heavenly places. I believe that's my standing. Maybe there's even more to it than that. Maybe not. But I know I'm in Christ. And I know he's in me. And that's where my focus needs to be. And I'm telling you from experience, having walked this walk um, over 30 years, we'll be going on 40 years before I know it, that if you focus on Jesus, you'll put yourself in a place where you'll avoid a lot of harms going down the road, whether you're involved in full-time ministry, part-time ministry, working in a church, or just trying to live the kind of life that God has for you. Don't take your focus off, off Jesus. So, all right, let's go a little bit further here. I'm kind of running out of time. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, when God for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Now, isn't this nice? All the promises of God get a yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I just wanted to throw that in there. Somebody may say, yeah, well, that was Old Testament. but And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promises. For men truly swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is to them the end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability, which means the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Notice the word there, to lay hold on the hope that's set before us. We see it there. It's set before us, but we have to lay hold of it. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that within the veil, where the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, this is the American King James. I know that sounds like a mouthful, but let me just break it down into just a simple, easy to understand uh, way. Think about this. Hope is described here as an anchor to the soul. What does an anchor do for a boat? 
It steadies it. It keeps it from being tossed to and fro by the waves. Remember what doubt does? Anyone who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. They're unstable in all their ways. It says, let not that man think he receive anything from the Lord. That's the person who loses hope. But we have hope, which is an anchor. So in other words, we're not going to be tossed about by the waves. And it's sure and it's steadfast. Now, Psalm 42.11 describes what the soul is like. Let me read this to you. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. You can see by that verse that the soul is where your mind, where your emotions, where your personality dwells. So not to get so mechanical about this that we make it more confusing than it is. You know when you have hope, you know when you're losing hope. You can tell by these scriptures hope is an anchor to your soul. And you know that Jesus is your hope. You know that Jesus is your faith. He's the source of hope and he is the source of faith. And what I believe here is that when you get clear enough on the thing that you hope for, when you can see it in your heart, then those feelings of discouragement and his faith, yes, faith is a fight. You know that. I know that. It is a fight. And sometimes we get to the point where we're just at the point where emotionally we feel like giving up. Or mostly we kind of feel like, well, we're just going through the motions. We're not really laying hold of the hope that was set before us. Uh, you know, one of my friends shared with me a story years ago. He had a um, person in his family who was dying of an incurable disease. And he said he was trying so hard to not lose faith, to not get discouraged. And when he read these scriptures on hope, he thought to himself, I'm just going to focus on the thing that I hope for which is this family member well. And the family member was underage and he was trying to pray for him just so that he could pray that situation through to a, a victorious conclusion. And so that's what he did. He, start, he started focusing on looking at the thing that he was hoping for. And he said when he did that, the faith part of the equation, like some people look at it, oh, you know, I don't want to be just be hoping, I want to be believing, took care of itself. In other words, if you look at the right thing long enough, if you look at Jesus long enough, then the faith of God will flow through you almost automatically. I like to think of it like this. You know, I had a sandwich for lunch, but I don't have to focus on having to get my digestive system to break all of those things down. It happens automatically. And I like to look at faith that way because the admonition in the Gospels is have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. But we don't really see that in the Gospels because, or excuse me, in the letters, because the letters are written to believers. You already have faith. There's nothing wrong with your faith. The problem is, is that your vision, you get moved away from the hope of the Gospel because you start listening to and reading the wrong things and listening to opinions that are anti-Christ or against God. And what that does is that defers your, your hope and your faith has nothing to give substance to. Your faith has nothing to give assurance to. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's about the best way I could put it right now. And so think of faith and hope as two sides of the same coin. Both sides have to be intact. And I know sometimes, depending how you've learned, you may put your emphasis on faith, trying to believe, trying to believe, trying to believe. But I just submit to you that if you're struggling to believe, maybe it's because your hopes have been dashed or your hopes are no longer, they don't feel, they're not realistic to you. And the scriptures were written. Why? 
I read that earlier, Romans 15, 4, that we might have hope. All right, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. So here we are. It's almost the end of, we're getting ready to enter into October. Basically, three quarters of the year are now in the rearview mirror. And what is your hope for the remainder of the year? Have you set your, your hopes really low? Well, if they are, you're really not expecting too much. You really don't see a positive outcome for, and you can just fill in the blank, whatever the situation is. Why don't you take a day or two and and find the scriptures that will give you that hope back in your heart again? And and remember, this this is, yes, we think about these things in the head, but it takes a little time to get these things down into your heart. Why don't you cut off maybe some of the sources that are taking your hope and begin to plug into some sources that are giving it and... Like I said, the scriptures are written that we might have hope. That is the first place you should go to. I mean, preaching is fine. Reading books about the topic, that's fine. But nothing beats, just like there's different types of gold. Some gold is purer than others. I think sometimes you just have to go into chapter and verse for yourself. Or maybe you get one of those little books that talk about the promises of God. And just read those. And, you know, just like your digestive system takes care of processing the food in your body and all of those systems begin to work without you having to be conscious of them working, then, you know, focus on Jesus. And I just encourage you that all of these things like the faith, the hope, the prayer, all of these things will start to work together. They'll become part of who you are. And you won't have to be in that place any longer where you're thinking, am I doing it right? Am I doing it step by step? Am I saying it right? Or should I say it like this? Or those things will come to you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. These aren't just words in a book that we're trying to believe. John 6.63 puts it like this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 14.23 says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And finally, Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. In other words, this is a very personal, very heartfelt level, not just an intellectual type of exercise that we do as believers, but it's part of our life experience or that's what it was meant to be. And so I just want to encourage you today that uh, God is for you, not against you. Those who are with you far outnumber those who are against you. I know you really can't see it in the visible world, of course. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. So let these words encourage you and let them begin to transform your life on a daily basis. All right, that's all for today. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. And I'll talk to you later.